listening to Jesus. If you're watching online, you're here tonight, you missed some of these, I, I encourage you to go back, not because I am so gifted or intelligent or a great speaker, but because it's based on the Word of God, and it's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus first calls the disciples, and he begins to lay out some incredible principles that is going to govern their lives and their ministries and their future. And so if it was good for them, I think it's still good for us. And so we want to dive into that. Okay, what, what principles do you have for them that I can still apply right here in 2021? And so go back and listen to the previous weeks. Um, and tonight is week eight. We're going to wrap up. Last week we looked at judging and persistent prayer and how the Lord desires that every one of us is filled with his spirit. And he wants to give us that beautiful gift of the spirit. And tonight... We want to end by looking at how Jesus makes an altar call. Jesus makes an altar call. Would you pray? Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here middle of the week. Lord Jesus, some of us, Lord, I no doubt have had a great week so far. Some have not had a great week. But you're still on the throne, and we're thankful to you. We're thankful we can come into a place of refuge and that we can worship and connect with brothers and sisters in the Lord. In Jesus, you're going to speak to us through your word tonight. And we're grateful for that in itself. In your name we pray, amen. You know, sometimes quotes, I heard a saying, you know, if you shout something long enough, loud enough, people will start to believe you. And quotes sometimes get stated so loud and so long that many people will actually believe quotes and attribute quotes to the Bible that are actually not found anywhere in Scripture. So you can take a guess, true or false, you can raise your hand if you think it's true, a little interaction. Is this in the Bible? True or false? So if you leave your hand down, and you, I'm just going to assume that you think it's false too. Money is the root of all evil. True, false, true, false, true. This is actually a misquote from 1 Timothy 6.10 where it says, The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money. Money is an inanimate object. It can be used for good. The love of money is the root of all evil. How about this? This too shall pass. This from what I can see, comes, seems to come from the Sufis, a, a group of Muslim mystics. Although we know there is a time and a season for everything and seasons change, we don't have something in the Bible that says this too shall pass. How about this? Cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, our, our grandmothers, you know, they say this. Some of you might say that. However, it's not found in the Bible. The first, the first close usage of that phrase seems to come from Francis Bacon in 1605. How can you say that, even a name, how can you say the name Bacon and not be like, hmm. <laughs> like, do we, have, do, we have, do we have bacon at home tonight? Francis Bacon in 1605 and later repeated by John Wesley as a colloquialism in 1791. How about this one? God moves in mysterious ways. Is that in the Bible? This is something Christians across the world say to each other, but it's not in the Bible. 
We no doubt somebody in here has said God moves in mysterious ways. Not in the Bible. This phrase, uh, it seems to be penned by William Cowper, who was a British poet and hymnist. It, now, it could be a loose paraphrase of Isaiah 55. My th- your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, saith the Lord. My ways are high. It's just as the high- heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than yours. I'm not a Bible quizzer, Brother Foster. Don't correct me. Um, <clears throat> I'll never forget when I got to preach a BQE, and I, and I started quoting. I said, just so you all know, I want to be up front. Do not judge me. I am not a Bible quizzer. And they're like, what? I don't know if they listen to me after that, but all things work together for good. This is one where context is king. People who use this saying refer to Romans 8.28, but they cut off the rest of the verse. I'm having a bad day. Don't worry. All things work together for good. I lost my job. All things work together for good. We just throw that out there. Somehow we feel good about ourselves too. Like I just gave them a piece of advice and made them feel good. I was in the Bible. Move on with my life. But it says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. A person needs to love God and be called according to his purpose, right? It's not a blanket statement for all of humankind. Like, yeah, everything always works together for good. If you continue in sin and it's directly contradicting the word of God, I can't promise you all things are going to work together for good. How about this? God helps those who help themselves. Anybody ever heard someone say that? Have you ever told someone that? It's not in the Bible. In fact, it's the exact opposite of the spirit that was written in the Bible. The quote came from Algernon Sidney. I don't even know who that is, but that was later repeated by Benjamin Franklin. It may sound spiritual, may sound good, but it's neither. It comes really from a spirit of self-dependency and self-sufficiency. If we have helped ourselves, then it's not a gift of grace that's not coming from God. And so God helps the helpless, right? Now, I get it. You don't work, you don't eat. Like, there's principles there, but there's, that scripture's not there. How about this one? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is the principle of the golden rule in the Bible? See, I've got you so scared and so gun-shy now. And then I trick you right at the end. Matthew seven twelve. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. There it is. We finally found a scriptural one. I tricked you. I know I set you up six false ones. And you're like, I'm not raising my hand. At that point, I could have said, is the oneness of God in the Bible? And you'd have been like. (laughs) He says, this is the essence of all that was taught by the law and prophets. Really? 613 commandments and you're going to sum it up by This, do to others as you would have them do to you. And we start teaching this to our kids young, right? Now, how would you like if he would have done that to you? How would you like if she would have said that to you? Because it's important to start thinking about our words and our actions and the effect that they have on other people. 
Some of, our, some of the parents in society never taught their children that. You can see that in society. But we try to teach our children that. Somebody hopefully taught us that, that, oh, wow, I can't just do that and say that and act that way. I have to think about the way that my actions and words influence and impact other people. You could call that empathy, or imagining what other people are experiencing and feeling and try to feel that and think through that. And so God, he, he, was not, he was calling his followers to not only have an awareness of self, but an awareness of others because he was saying, I'm calling you. You're going to go out, be a light in the world. You're going to be the salt of the earth. And so guess what? Think about how you treat other people because it's really summed up like this. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Remember, he just came out of what did we cover last week? I know you all memorized it. You wrote it down and you're still stewing on the word from last Wednesday and I appreciate that. But if you remember that, we ended by, well, he was talking outside of the Father gave good gifts and the Holy Ghost. He was talking about the concept, the topic of judging. And so, judgment, he says, uh, he said we would be judged by the same manner which we judge other people. Now, we can be fine with that if we're confident. We say, well, no, I only judge based on the word of God, based on scripture. But we still want to offer grace, because Jesus does. But as Jesus transitions to his last section of the Sermon on the Mount, this is it, what we're covering tonight, he closes with what we might call an altar call. <clears throat> what is an altar call? Well, typically, almost every service, there's an altar call. Well, what does that mean? That means that the preached word went forth, inspired by God, and hopefully something that was said in the word that's why it's so important that I preach the word. I'm never going to, I have never in my life, I think I've preached since I was 17 now, and I've never preached a message that didn't include scripture. Because that's what changes lives. That's what calls someone to change, gives someone hope. And so hopefully that, that and God says so many times, his word will not come back void. It will accomplish what it, what it desires, what it pleases. And uh, his word is sharp and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it, and it goes deep down into our marrow. And, and so when the word goes forth, we then say, I want to respond to what I just heard in the word. And so we will call this place here an altar. And that's simply, hey, this is a place that has been, when this church was built, when a building was built, it was set aside, consecrated as a place of response, a place of spiritual awareness, a place where someone will come and stand or lay or kneel, and, and they will respond to what they just heard in God's word. And so Jesus, he makes an altar call. He, he says, okay, you have heard the word of God. You have heard the word that I have given you. If you let it, it has spoken to your heart, but now what will you do with the word? Because God's word's anointed, and I, I've said these things in prayer. I, I, you know, sometimes we hear preachers and nothing against them will say, Lord, please anoint your word. It doesn't really need anointing. It's already alive. It's powerful. It doesn't need any help. Lord, Please anoint me to when I deliver this that your word, it, I don't, I just, I just don't want to mess it up. Okay? Because sometimes we're human beings. I've preached myself out of a, out of a couple of altar calls probably. You're like it was powerful and you're like, 
man, I was ready to respond 30 minutes ago, you know. Don't say amen. Come on. I knew. I knew it was coming. But what do we do with what we just received? And so I don't say, oh, God, please anoint your word. His word's anointed. It's powerful. So if a preacher preaches the word, <clears throat> even, if, even if it's not perfect, even if it, even if, uh, I never forget, my, my dad had this story. He was getting ready, he's a drug addict, alcoholic, coming out of that lifestyle, just trying to make a change. He's bringing people to Bible studies left and right. Um, I just wrote an article for the UPC magazine about Father's Day, and they asked me to write an article about my dad. So keep an eye out for that if you get forward or, or Pentecostal life, I should say. And so just kind of revisiting his testimony, it was kind of, it was kind of neat, refreshing, looking back. But I'll never forget the story that he, he started trying to teach a Bible study, and he had 20 people in his first Bible study, and he was scared to death, and he was looking at everybody, and he had worked food service his whole life. And he stumbled over words and tripped over words, and he felt so ridiculous. He was like, I can't do this. This is not for me. I'm not a Bible study teacher, okay? This is not my thing. He went into Pastor Tamil's office and said, thank you for giving me a shot. This is not me. I can't do this. You need to come teach next week. And uh, Pastor Tamil looked at him, and he said, listen, it was, it, my dad held this to the day he died. So it was, it was like a word from God that was really powerful for my dad. And so he said, um, he said, you know, Gary, you work food service? My dad said, yeah. He said, if you're carrying out mashed potatoes and gravy and you're walking it out to the customer and a little bit of the gravy spills over the edge of the plate, does the customer still get fed? And that was like a revelation to my dad. He took that and was like, I'm, I'm going to teach and never stop. Because for him, it was like, yes, the presentation, yes, it's a little messy, it wasn't perfect, I messed up along the way, but the meal still got to the person. And so for us, you know, we're thanking God, hey, he uses us, and it's always refreshing, because even when you mess up, you mess up a Sunday school lesson, a message in the pulpit, a song, like, you can always go back to the word, and I can say this from experience, where I can go, God, you used a donkey. So, I, I'm confident you can use me. I know I can do it. Because <laughs> you used the donkey. There's a lot of messages in that. But, but so we can say, God, help me not to mess it up, but I want to bring forth your word. So when we're teaching, when we're speaking it, the word comes forward, and then we have to make a decision. Oh, God, now your word is here, and we have this every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Bible study. If you're watching online, you have this. The word of God is presented to you, and it calls us to respond. There should, there's really a no message that doesn't call us to respond in some way. Sometimes a response is a direct response immediately. Come to an altar, repent, get baptized. It's a response immediate. But sometimes, especially on Wednesday nights, principles for life, the response is not necessarily, I need to get up there and do this right now. It is, I need to take this and go examine myself, go make changes, go, go, go deeper. And, and, and how am I going to do that? These Wednesdays is the instruction where we get the tools to do that. And so it's always a call to response. And so Jesus, he, he says, what are you going to do now? I've been sitting here on this mountainside, and we're, I'm, I'm just sharing these life principles and nuggets of wisdom. But what are you going to do? And he, in order to attain, obtain eternal life, there has to be a response. 
That's why the Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized. He belie- That's ETH, the continuing. And so there has to be obedience to the word. And so he emphasizes this to them toward the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 7, 13, he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. I think somebody sang a song about that one time back in the day. And its gate is wide for many who choose that way. So you get this picture. This is starting off a little bleak. You can only get on through the narrow way. The other way is wide. And then he says, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only few find it. Thanks, Jesus. Wow, great message today. That's what you leave. Straight is the gate, narrows the way. Few there be that find it. Find it. Wide is the path to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. So, we have to go, what makes me one of the few? What makes me one of the few? I mean, after all, you look at Peter. He was inspired to write in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack or slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent. So there we go. It's clear. Scripture says he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to repent. But then you read in what Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, straight as the gate narrows the way, few there be that find it, many that go to destruction. But this one says that's not what he's wanting. So did we just find the first contradiction in the Bible? No. It's not a contradiction. This is all true. He's saying, be careful. Make sure that you know where you're at because a lot, it's a lot easier to go to the way where everybody in the crowd is going. But that way is narrow and not, many people, not as many people are going there as that are there. But I want you to know, I'm inspired Peter to write later, I'm not willing that anybody, I want everyone to go that way. And that's why everybody wants to quote John 3, 16. Oh, precious God, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's absolutely right, but people will take that and twist that and say, see, he paid the price for everybody's sins, we're all saved, and we're done. Our salvation's been purchased. You're right, your salvation has been purchased. But just like in the Old Testament, they had to kill animals, but the blood being shed did not save them. They had to take the blood, and they had to put it on the doorpost, so then they had to remain in the covering of the blood. So there had to be some application of the blood. Where do we apply the blood today? Well, that's at repentance, water baptism. And so there's a response to his gospel message that we have. And it calls for obedience. It calls, and so just because he paid the price, he, that scripture's right. No one should perish because he paid that price. But many people are saying, interesting, the blood has been shed, but I'm not interested. Or I'm not willing to align my life with that. I'm not willing to make any changes. And so the blood's not applied, even though it was shed, it's not applied. The answer, though, to this is found if you just keep reading. If, if you stop there and go, wow, that's kind of discouraging. Now I just got to go out and hope I'm one of the few. Like, and that's what, you know, sometimes predestination. Well, you're already destined to go to that place. You're destined not to go to that place. And so 
That's it. He made, a, he made a choice when he was on the cross, and he paid the price. And only certain people get that, get that qualification to, to true, true and everlasting life. No, no, no. You read on after Matthew 7, 14, where he says, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, few there be that find it. And then he says, next thing out of his mouth is what? Beware of false prophets. A lot of people are going that way. Not many are going that way. Hey, guys, beware of false prophets. This is not just random nuggets of information that he's like, I'm wrapping up. What did I not say? Uh, oh, yeah, and then, um, oh, yeah, and then um, it's not Proverbs where they're just like little lines of different thoughts. This is one continuous teaching. God straight as the gate, narrow as the way, broad as the way to destruction. So listen to me. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really, they're vicious wolves. False teachers are dangerous. They lead believers astray when they take their attention off the word of God. This is why Paul says, mark them, avoid them, who minister question rather than godly edification. If, I, any, if an angel from heaven teaches anything different than what the apostles taught, let him be accursed. That's strong language. So that's why today when I say I'm apostolic, this is not a man-made denomination that I'm just trying to join and adhere to. I'm saying I'm following what the apostles taught because Scripture says, how do you know truth and error? You follow hereby, you follow what the apostles taught. If, if, if someone, if an angel from heaven doesn't teach what the apostles taught, let them be accursed. So for me... A lot of mainstream religion will say the book of Acts is a book of history. It's way more than history. It's theology because if you say, follow what the apostles taught, then I'm going to read the book of Acts and say, what was their theology? So I can look at this and say, my theology has to align with that theology. If they got filled with the Holy Ghost, then I'm going to teach that we have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If they were baptized in Jesus' name, then I'm going to baptize people in Jesus' name. Not because it's a man-made religion, but because I'm following what the apostles taught. These are the people he handpicked and instilled himself in and then said, I give you authority, go reach the world. And so, how do we know? Well, Jesus says, you judge them by their fruit. Now we tie in last week. Oh, I thought, judge not lest you be not. You as Christians are never supposed to judge people. Then how do you know the truth, spirit of truth and error? You can identify them, verse 16, by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. What do you think he's referencing here? Talking about fruit and trees. He's speaking to people that understand agriculture. But fire, what are we thinking? Thrown into the fire? Like there's a spiritual connotation here. Who's going into the fire? He just got done saying a lot of people are headed toward destruction. Now he's talking about things being thrown in the fire. My ears are tuned in going, okay, who is that? It's the people that aren't bearing fruit. You can see, you can identify a tree by its fruit. So, 
You can identify people by their actions. We want to always rush, judge, you're rude, don't judge. But scripture is saying you can identify someone simply by the fruit that they're bearing. I don't have to judge you. If I watch you go from me and say, hey, I just want to tell you, did you hear what sister so-and-so did? And brother so-and-so, and then you walk over to her and you say, did you, I'm just trying to tell you this so you can help me pray. But I just, and then you walk back to him and you say, hey, I just, FYI, I just heard some stuff up there. I don't have to judge you. Your fruit is telling me that you're dangerous and you're a cancer to the church. It's not, it's not judging. It's simply, I know you by your fruit. If you say, oh, I'm coming to church this Sunday, but I'm not going to be back for three weeks. I'm going to come for two weeks. I'm going to be missing for six weeks, and then I'm coming back for three weeks. I don't have to judge that your fruit says you're not consistent. Man, it seems so harsh. I, you just look, and you can judge people by their fruit. That does not mean that when you come, I say, well, you're a heathen. Do you know what's wrong with you? Like, no, because I need grace. You need grace. We always offer grace. I don't walk around and say, okay, let's talk about the sins. You know, I heard him, you know, she's sitting here gossiping and, and start calling out sins and making, there's nothing that good that, that comes out of that. But for me, I know that there are certain homes I won't send my kids in. Oh, let's go have a play date and play over here. Eh. No, because I see fruit that concerns me. See that? So we have to understand, like, when he says you, 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 you can identify a tree by its fruit, that's how you identify it. And that's why last week we talked about judging because he gets to this point in his Sermon on the Mount. And he just came out of talking about judging others because he, he didn't want his followers walking around judging everyone in their pride like the Pharisees did. I thank God I'm not like him. I mean, they, they literally did that. And he condemned that, so he's not okay with that. And that's what our world thinks about with judging. And honestly, unfortunately, with a lot of churches, that does happen. I pray to God it's never here. But that... I thank God I'm not as bad as that person, that judgment. And he didn't want them doing that. But then he also didn't want his believers to be afraid to judge what people are saying and doing based on his word. Because they were going to be questioned all the time. They're going to be brought before the synagogue. Oh, what do you know? And who are you? And, 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 and they're going to start getting fed to lions, beheaded, put to death, filleted alive, dragged to death, beat with a club, crucified upside down. They got to know what they stand for. Because if you don't really truly believe in something, you're not willing to die for it. And if you weren't willing to die for it in the first century, you weren't going to make it. That's serious. And so he says, you, listen, you're, whatever, however measure you meet, that's how you're going to be judged. And, and judge not, lest ye be not judged. But then he says, you're going to know people, judge them by the fruits that they bear. So he's getting them to, to understand this balance of, don't be like the Pharisees walking around thinking you're better than everybody, but you better know how to, to, to measure what people are saying and doing up to my word. That balance between healthy and unhealthy judgment. And we'll know false teachers by the fruit that they bear. And so we, we, we look at this, and this is also why we must aim ourselves to exercise the fruit. Even in religious circles. You could go and, I mean, uh, yeah, but they seem like they're so, 
they're so innocent, and, and I'm, not, I'm not here to bash other denominations, other churches, because there's tons of great churches out there. But if I go to a church, and they say, yeah, and you show, I've heard stories about this happening. Somebody goes to the book of Acts, or they go to the Corinthians, and they say, well, look at this. And the priest, or the pastor, bishop, deacon, pope, monk, whoever, says, yeah, well, we don't do that. Well, that's not really necessary. I'm going to get out of that place as soon as possible because if you're saying, I'm showing you what the Acts of the Apostles says, it's very clearly stated that Paul is inspired to say, if anyone teaches anything than what the Apostles taught, let them be accursed, avoid them, mark them. So if someone is going to make a judgment call and say, hey, we don't teach that here, that's not necessary, or that's not allowed, and it's scriptural in the book of Acts, then to me, I'm in a dangerous place. You could look around and say, yeah, but the building's nice and this music's nice and the people are so nice. But if, it's, if someone is teaching directly contrary to the apostles, we're told to avoid that. And so how do we make that judgment call? We make the judgment call based on scripture, based on what God's word says. That's why there's so much, so much, so many different thoughts and thought patterns out there. That's why I go back, what's the word of God say? What is thus saith the Lord? Let's stick to the word. And so he says, we need to, we, you can know people by the fruit they bear, but guess what? Now we've been talking about other people, oh, those people, them, their fruit and their fruit. Now let's talk about your fruit. Because if we're going to judge people based on their fruit, that's easy. But they're going to judge us based on our fruit. Oh. Gossiping. Gossiping Sally. She's walking around. So I'm going to tell someone else about gossiping Sally. Hey, just FYI, watch out for Sally. She gossips all the time. What are you doing? So now, you're picking up that cancer in the church. So we have to say, okay, others are going to judge us by the fruit we bear. Well, Scripture tells us all about fruit. If we don't bear this fruit, and I know uh, my dad would preach this message about bearing fruit and reaching people, and there's a context there, contextually, you can make that work, and I think we should bear fruit and reach people. But I'm of the opinion that when we're cut off and thrown into the fire, it's because we're not bearing this fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Because Galatians 5, he says, I, I tell you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. I had to talk with my kids this past week. Temptation's not sin. If I said right now, who here has been tempted to do anything wrong in the last couple of weeks? Most likely, not everybody here would raise their hand because you'd be like, well, that's embarrassing. I don't want to raise my hand to that. But if we're truthful, we all raise our hands because we still carry this flesh. And so it says the Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of the sin. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. It does not say they fight each other until you go down in the waters of baptism. It does not say they fight each other until you're spirit-filled. Your flesh and spirit, that's why at any moment when people say, once saved, always saved, I was saved, and I'm never walking away. No, tomorrow morning, you can walk, wake up and say, you know what? My flesh wants this. I'm quitting. I'm giving in. And you ain't going to heaven. 
If you walk away from God and say, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm leaving you all behind, I'm done, I'm sick of living for you. Now, we don't have to live in, in, in fear that we're somehow going to fall into hell. But if I make a conscientious decision where I say, I'm done with you, I'm out of here. The Bible says constantly, he that continueth, he that doeth. There's a continuation of our lives in living for him. And so he says, these are always fighting against each other. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Wow, it sounds like it's describing a lot of 2021. He says, let me tell you again, as I've told you before. Anyone living that kind of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're going to the path of destruction where it's wide and, and the crowd's headed there. So Jesus talks about that path of destruction. Now Paul starts talking about destruction, and he gives specific examples. But then he says, well, now let's talk about the fruit of God's spirit. And these are the things that people should see in us. Well, bless God, I'm spirit-filled. What does that mean? I spoke in tongues. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to heaven now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that scripture says that we need to be born of the water and spirit in order to enter the kingdom. But there's a sanctification process. It's a continual growth. It's not a one-time checklist. And so people should start to see the fruit of what's been planted. The spirit's been planted. God has filled me. And now, as I grow in him, there should start to be fruit. When you put a fruit tree in the ground, you don't just wake up like we talked about Sunday with hand lotion. I got made fun of already a little bit for that. I don't use hand lotion every day. I want you to know that, okay? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tough guy. You don't put a fruit tree in the ground, water it, and wake up in the morning and be like, man, where's the oranges? process. So you're not going to just, all of a sudden you get spirit filled on Sunday and Monday, you're like, man, look at the fruit. It's just everywhere. It's a process, but at some point as the root system gets in there, and that's why too, you don't just jump from church to church because the root system, you can't transplant that much. And so the root, the root system, it, it, it takes root, it gets deep, and, and then it can withstand some storms once the root system gets in, which we're about to look at in just a second. But we should bear fruit as we have our roots in the ground, and God puts something in us, and now there should be a reflection of what's been put in. He says, this is what it produces, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guess what? When we don't show those things, the world judges us by the fruit we bear. Oh, we're so good at, oh, he can, I can judge people. But, but what about us? Man, I just, every time I, she don't seem loving. He does not seem like a gentle person. I don't see a lot of whole goodness in their life. Man, they lack self-control. I promise you, he's not patient at all. 
And so people go, I don't see a lot of fruit. You're telling me that I need to repent and I need to be baptized and I need God's spirit and I need to come to your church and my life could be better with your God. But I'm not seeing it in your life. So the fruit, we have to bear fruit too. And so, yes, the Spirit fills us, and the sign that we've been filled is speaking in tongues, and that's biblical book of Acts. But that's not where we stop. That's where the Spirit starts. Well, it starts even before that. It starts in drawing you to that place of an altar and a commitment and opening yourself up to receive that Spirit. But once he fills you, now there should start to be fruit, evidence that the Spirit is actually doing a work. And so the world judges us by our fruit. And so, and yeah, but I, but I spoke in tongues. I got baptized. I even go to a Pentecostal church once a week. To which Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now to call out to him, Lord, Lord, it sounds like that person's a believer to me. And some denominations will say, all you need to do is believe, and you're saved. Well, that's interesting, because in James, it says, even the devils believe. So does that mean that Satan's going to heaven? Of course not. But when believe, it, that leads us into obedience, to I want to respond, and this is what Jesus is ending here now. He's saying, listen, the straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Beware of false prophets. You've got to know how to judge what's right and what's not. And then he says, because not everybody who just calls out, Lord, Lord, they're not, they're not, they're not entering God's kingdom just because they called out, Lord, Lord. Only those who actually do, obey, follow through, respond. Oh, you're telling me I got to earn my own salvation by jumping in that water? You didn't earn anything. What made the water possible is when he died on the cross, and now you can take on that name. It's not your own doing or your works. It's your response. And so he says, you need to do the will of the Father. On judgment day, he says, many people are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Wow. Now we're not just talking about believers. We're talking about people who did powerful things in the gifts of the Spirit. In your name. Wait, hang on. I prophesied. I cast out demons. I performed miracles. Sounds like more than some of us have done. They're prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles. That sounds like a powerhouse Christian to me. And he says, I'm going to reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. What a way to bring the Sermon on the Mount to an end. I mean, my goodness. Wow. He's telling this to a bunch of believers. And so when somebody says, all you have to do is just believe and you're saved, I emphatically stand against that because it's not in the Bible. The principle's not found from Genesis to Revelation. It's not there. 
Belief is a key component of salvation, but is not the ending point. So Jesus, he's not talking about heathen people, sinners who never knew him. He says, I'm talking about people who have prophesied, cast out devils. Surely if anyone was eternally secure, it would have been them. And he squashes that. He's making it clear to those people that I'm expecting you to continue to live in obedience. Just because you're in ministry. Talked about that a little on Sunday. Just because you have been filled with my spirit. Just because you call out my name. That doesn't automatically get you and just put you up in heaven. He says, you got to continue. You've got to bear fruit. How do I bear fruit? As I get closer to him and his spirit works and operates in my life. All of a sudden, oh, wow, there's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And as we start to walk, remember where he started the Sermon on the Mount? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he ends with, so you better bear fruit. Because in order to light up a dark world, you can't just tell someone I speak in tongues. It has to be. Wow, all I see when I experience and interact with that person is love, is joy. It seems like no matter what's going on, they're just that, they just radiate joy. Every time I talk to them, no matter what's going on in their life, there's just such a peace. They just, I can bring them issues, and they just, I just always feel peace when I talk to them. And even when things are frustrating, they're just, they're patient. I don't see other people being patient like that. It seems like nothing rattles, and there's just such patience, and, 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 it's, and I see self-control. And I just, so all of a sudden, I'm lighting up a dark world. I'm preserving with salt some things around me. God put his spirit inside of us, not just Believe me, I'm not belittling tongues because it's biblical. It's necessary for salvation. But if we just say, I did what you said. I spoke in tongues. What else do you want me to do? You're missing it. Jesus is going, listen, you guys got a powerful ministry. You do these amazing things. You say you do it in my name. But that's, I'm, I'm still not going to know that person just based on what they did. Be the salt of the world. Be the light of the earth. And so he continues, and he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain came, torrents and, and floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds their house on a sand. On sand, when the rains and floods come, the winds beat against it, it collapses with a mighty crash. 
He was, I mean, he just sat here for how, who knows how long just sitting here teaching and investing and instilling things in the crowd. And you know how many, not that whole crowd didn't follow him. Because he started by talking about commitment. And he starts by saying, you have a responsibility, a personal responsibility in this. And he gets to this point where he says, if you don't do something with what I'm telling you, and you're just here to listen to a sermon, you're foolish. He says, anybody who does something with what I'm saying, your house is built on a rock. And notice he says, when the storms came, this would happen. When the storms came, this would happen. That's interesting because it does not matter if you build your house on the sand, you're foolish, or you build your house on the rock and you're godly. You still will go through storms. It does not matter. Well, I expected once I came to the altar, there wouldn't be any storms. No, no, no. Just because you built your life on a solid foundation doesn't mean you avoid storms altogether. It just means that you are prepared for them. You're prepared for a storm. And when he had finished teaching these things, the crowds were amazed. He taught with real authority. This is a little bit of a dig because the Pharisees, they taught what people had taught them and from another rabbi. But when Jesus taught, they were like, God gave you this. Well, yeah, he did. And they were shocked by that. And later, the apostles had been filled with his spirit. And Acts 4.13 says the members of the councils were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They could see they were just ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. But they recognized something. They looked at him and said, these guys, you can tell, have been with Jesus. They were the light of the world. There was the salt of the earth, the fruit of the spirit shined through them. And just like how Jesus taught and they were amazed, wow, he's got such authority when he teaches the word. He puts his spirit inside of his believers and they get up and the exact same thing is said about the disciples as it was about Jesus. Because he puts his spirit in us and that it should and we should begin to see the fruit of that spirit. We should begin to stand up and we should be able to speak and follow the anointing of the spirit. And when people hear us and when they interact with us, let them say one thing. I don't know these people. Wow, even if they don't say they're good looking, they're smart, they're intelligent, they can say one thing. But I'll tell you what, you can just tell those people have been in the presence of Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet, please. And so Jesus, he closes with an altar call just like what I am about to. Granted, it wasn't in an A-frame building with some really nice lights and a projection screen with an awesome title slide of a girl responding at an altar. It was on a mountain, probably wearing sandals instead of some Aldo dress shoes. But he got done and he taught them, no doubt, much better than I taught. I think he's Jesus, so I think that'd be a lot better. But it was the word of God, and I'm still teaching the word of God. 
And he looked at a crowd and he said, so what are you going to do with what you just heard? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Because foolish people, they take it and they walk out and don't do anything with it. And when the storm comes, they don't stand. But those who build their house on the rock, when the storms come, they withstand it all. And they withstand the test of time. And they do exactly, and they are who exactly what I call them to be, the salt and the light. And when I come back from my people, they ain't in the large crowd headed toward destruction. They're not given into false teaching. They're on the straight and the narrow. And even though few there be that find it, they're the people who have always loved, served, and followed me. And so, so I'm following. So I'm, that's, that's who those people are. And he didn't say it, and scripture doesn't record it, but essentially what's he saying? The altars are open. Meaning what? What does that mean? What are you going to do with what you just heard? So as we close this series, Life Principles According to Jesus, I close that same way. The altars are open. What will you do with what you just heard? I want to I bear fruit. I want people to have interaction with me where they see love. Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I'm thankful that even when the tree's not totally unhealthy, you can water it and nurture it and get it back to health. And that's where I'm at. I need you, Jesus. Let me reflect your spirit. God, help me. What will you do? I invite you to respond tonight. Oh